How many of you are, are doing yard work right now? Anybody getting out and doing anything to try to get your flower gardens ready or your vegetable gardens or just getting things cleaned up and underway? Maybe uh, some of you are saying, I'm not interested in doing that, but um, I am paying a little bit more attention to uh, the bird feeders. Anybody have bird feeders? You ever watch birds? No. Anybody ever have them and just got tired of the drama? You know what drama I'm talking about? It's, uh, the bird feeder is really a place where it's like a convergence of so many different happenings, so many social things happening at that one location. Uh, all you need is a post, a little palace filled with all kinds of wonderful uh, seeds and, and, and nuts and things like that. And sure enough, you're going to see a variety of, of God's creation uh, begin to emerge with different motivations. Um, we have uh, uh, birds over the years that have come and, and, and basically taken advantage of, uh, of our bird feeders. Uh, we, have, we have sparrows, of course. We have robins. We have cardinals. And then we have bullies. You know what the bullies are, don't you? Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, so there are those guys. And uh, occasionally you'll have the passers throughers, you know, beautiful birds that are just migrating from here to there. They'll stick around for a few days and you can enjoy them and then off they go. And then there's other creatures that also like to meet at that place. Uh, one is um, the ubiquitous ground squirrel. Anybody have uh, experiences with them? Uh, they're very clever. They find ways uh, to subvert all the tactics that you have to try to keep them from getting into um, all the, the bird seed. And if you're lucky, uh, you are successful. If you are not so lucky, at least you can enjoy the show a little bit as far as their creativity and trying to get into the actual bird feeder itself. Um, if you're like me, you just wrap some galvanized tin around the post and make it high enough for nothing to climb and make it far away enough for nothing to jump onto it and, and just watch them try. And so far, that's been my means of overcoming uh, the, um, the, the theft that, that was occurring on a, on a pretty large scale for a while. But there's one more culprit uh, in the mix that I... I think about whenever I look at the bird feeder, and it happens to be—it uh, happens to be a real adversary to the equation, and yet at the same time, it's just a harmless domestic being. And you know who that is? Our cat. Now, our cat is—he's—he's um, he's got his eye on the sparrow for sure. Um, he's looking for opportunities by which he can get more than just his eye on the sparrow and other birds if he can. And in the past, he's, been, he's had some relative success. Uh, now, feeling guilty about having all of these birds invited to our home to eat only to have a few of them taken out by our cat, you know, that's a conscience thing. And you feel some level of responsibility. And so the end, end result is we've just tried to place everything in such a way that the forces of good can accomplish what the forces of good need to. And the forces of evil, well, you know, they can, they can eat cat food. That's why we have cat food. And then the ground squirrels, well, 
they can go visit our neighbors if they want. They're, it's a free country. And if you look at that dynamic, you know that in a lot of ways it probably parallels the life that you and I are called to live. I mean, there are good places. There are places that are inviting. There are places that are, are, are really uh, adding to our well-being. And then right around the corner, there are things, there are purposes, there are evil intentions that try to undo the things that God has made that he has called good and very good. And in the Bible, we read story after story about how forces are at work in that way. Whether it is forces at work in our own heart that one minute we want to do the right thing and we, 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 we behave accordingly and, and, and then in the next moment uh, we find ourselves drawn in things that uh, we shouldn't be drawn into and then wondering why uh, we're paying the consequences somewhere down the road. And if you read through the Bible story, you find that over and over again. If you were to look at just the storyline of the Bible, you see it happen uh, with a group of people that uh, are called the children of Abraham who emerge into a great nation called the Israelites. Eventually, in time, they're known as the Jewish people and when Jesus came uh, to dwell with us on earth, uh, um, they, were, they, they were basically uh, members of his larger extended family. And in every case, those forces were still at work. And we've read about great people in the Bible from uh, Noah to Abraham to David to going back to Moses and maybe up, up to Isaiah. And we find that, yeah, these are, these are people that have great intentions, but at times they are known to fall themselves we have this one person that emerges on the landscape and we all know him as Jesus and we know that all the things that all those guys went through, he himself, uh, the gospel story describes, went through them as well. Uh, the only difference being he successfully met each test and each temptation in such a way that he overcame uh, at every turn. And so it was a game changer. And as the Bible describes the contrast between what happened to the people of old and what happened in the life of Jesus, on the other side of it is the good news, the gospel, that the brokenness in the world that happens from our own, our own wanderings, uh, the presence of evil, uh, is finding a means of, 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 of being put right through the person of Jesus. Parallel to the storyline of the history of God's people is a cosmic story that is happening uh, in the unseen realm. And it's a story that we're not real clear on. But when we read the Gospels, we find that Jesus talks a lot about adversaries and powers and principalities. And we see this figure emerge in, uh, in, in the encounters that he has uh, called Satan or the devil. And we find that Jesus's primary role actually happens to be to, to displace uh, the devil's authority. And maybe we wonder, where did the devil get the authority to begin with? And if you go all the way back to the garden, you find that when we decided that we would follow our own impulses rather than uh, uh, being obedient to God, we, 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 we by default invited the devil into the equation and he took authority, he took advantage of it. And the scripture says that when Jesus was tested, um, the first thing that the devil said to him was, uh, you know what, uh, I've been given authority. And Jesus looked at him and I'm, I'm sure he was thinking, but not for long. 
And that's really where I want us as believers uh, to begin to think about our own lives as uh, we live them under God's rule. Because the reality is there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of, 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 of the deceiver's authority and there is the kingdom of God that God sent his son into the world to try to establish. Uh, the text that I want to look at today is parallel to the one we looked at last week. And it comes from Matthew chapter 4. Last week we looked at Luke chapter 4. This week we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. It makes it pretty easy. But it also stands out that this must be important if both Gospels say uh, this story as clearly as they did. The Gospel writer John had said that there are so many things that Jesus did here on earth that all the books in the world couldn't contain them. But for some reason, uh, three of the four Gospels contain this story, the story of the temptation of Jesus. And there are so many aspects of it that I, I couldn't even cover in three messages, which I'm going to try. Uh, but there, there is an aspect of it that I want to cover today. So as I do that, um, just follow along with me. And I'll, I'll read what Matthew had to say. He said, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. So they're just, they're just going up in, in higher and higher in the, in the whole procession here in Matthew. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you, if you just fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now one thing that I know about being a believer is that the minute you come up out of the baptistry... Uh, the same adversary that Jesus had come into his world when, if you remember 40 days prior, he came up out of the baptismal waters and then, the, then it was on. Then it was a test to try to recover what was lost. And for each of us, we have been lost to the authority of the evil one, of the devil, who wants to take us Take us with him to, 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 to that place of destruction. And in the process, he wants to mock God by saying, I, I want to destroy all of your creation. Because it seems like the devil looked at what God had done and he said, I want that. And we know in that cosmic story that the devil, Lucifer, decided that he would take 
everything that God had created and make it his own by tricking and deceiving the creation into thinking that they should follow him. And he just started right out of the gate with Adam and Eve. And when he did that, um, he tried to establish his own reign. And he was so convincing of what his vision was all about that the Bible says that a third of the angels actually were charmed enough by his very seductive reasoning that they followed him. And scripture says that Lucifer and, and a third of the angels that God had made began to war against the purposes of God. And in our culture, in our day, and even in your life and mine, we probably don't think too much about that. But we probably feel it more than we realize. We probably have heard those voices say, you should do this. Or heard those voices speak against us by saying negative things about our person. Or heard those voices in our mind saying, um, you know, dark things uh, that, that, that maybe even lead to suicidal thoughts. And all of these things that many people encounter on a regular basis are just those unseen agents trying to undo the good things that God has established. Now for us, we live in a modern world and we tend to throw that into the category of psychology or chemical imbalance or whatever. And sometimes that, that truly is the case. But oftentimes, from God's point of view, he's established things in such a way that those dark forces can't come into our lives and influence us unless we give them permission. And a lot of times we do give them permission. We just allow those thoughts to be fed and the more we think about them, the more, the more those dark forces take hold. And when Jesus sees all of this, he sees a humanity made in God's image and likeness. He sees you and I. And he knows that we need a savior. We need someone to come into the equation and to set things right. And a lot of us, without knowing all the stuff I just described, have just through your sheer instincts come into a worship gathering or into a church at some point in your lives and said, you know what, I need God. I need God because I can't make it without him. I need God maybe to be a better father. I need God to be a better husband or a better wife. I need God to help me with the problems that I have. I need God because my problems are bigger than the things that I can deal with. And that's not a bad thing. Because it's the beginning of a step towards the pathway of understanding that God has set up for you and I. And the whole goal is to take us out of the darkness that we're caught up in. And by God's standard, it's pretty dark. By our standard, it's just normal. We don't think about it any different. We don't think about, about um, lying or committing adultery or murder or all the stuff that maybe you see on TV uh, repeatedly and maybe, maybe in your own life. And you look at that and you say, that just seems like the way it is. But when God looks at it, he says, no, that is not the way it was supposed to be. But you've been tricked into thinking that that's normal, and it's not. When Jesus came into the world, he came to show us 
a better way. And as we begin to move towards him, God said, I want you to pay careful attention to what Jesus went through whenever he was baptized. Because if you'll notice, the Spirit led him into the wilderness, and as the Spirit led him there, the goal was for Jesus to be tested. Now, God doesn't tempt us. That's the devil's job. But God does allow us to be tested to see what's there that needs to come to the surface. Because there's stuff in you and I that isn't always quite right by God's way of being. And so in very patient and very subtle ways, he just begins the long process of bringing stuff to the surface helping us to deal with it in a community of people where, where we love one another with, uh, as we love God, and, 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 and we can do it in that environment with support. But God is looking at each of our lives, and he's seeing areas that we need to grow and change in, and he allows you and I to be tested so that we can be capable for the life that we're called to live. Now, testing is something that's kind of interesting. Because I've, I've been tested a lot. And as a parent, I've even let my kids be tested a little bit. My, I'll give you an example. Just, just yesterday, my, uh, my son Stephen uh, drove uh, his truck in and the brakes were squeaking. And uh, he said, Dad, my brakes are squeaking and I said maybe he needs some oil on him and he just rolled his eyes and I said well you know maybe what we need to do is replace the brake pads you know how to do that no I don't I've never done that before so I took him through the process and we jacked the truck up took the lug nuts off the wheel took the wheel off and and took the uh, brake pads off of the caliper and I showed him step by step how to do each one of these things. And I showed him that you never want to get underneath a car whenever it's jacked up because if it falls, it's going to fall on you. And just some basic things. The whole aim was to show him, first of all, how to do it. And then the next step is to let him do it himself. And then ultimately... If you do it right, you'll have your own mechanic as well. But that's a long way down the road. And, and, and so, in his own right, he began the process of doing those things that he had never done before. And what you find out is you find out a lot about yourself. You find out what your mechanical aptitude is. You find out what your awareness is of how cars actually work. You find out how to stay safe versus how to get injured. And so he's working on the car and he's got, we've got it jacked up and he's got his hand laying on the ground right below where the, where the brake thing is. And I said, now, Stephen, if the car were to fall right now, what do you think that would do to your hand? And he's like, oh, okay, and he did that. And I said, you know, in a lot of ways, we're not prepared to do these kind of mechanical things without some guidance because we're either learning uh, how to do it or we're unlearning bad habits. 
And as God is looking at you and I, he's saying, I want you to learn how to do it, how to live a godly life. But I also realize you get yourself into some dangerous situations and you're not even aware of it. And so God, God allows us to be tested. And what Satan does in, in his role is he's got his own agenda and God actually allows him to do his thing as well. But here's the thing we need to understand. And I wish somebody explained this to me when I first became a believer. But if you pay careful attention to that scripture, it says that, that the Holy Spirit led him. And I know that whenever we are tested, we're like, God, where are you? And I can assure you, if you are a believer, God is right there with you. And he will give you the power to overcome those things you need to overcome. And if you don't overcome them, he will give you the grace that you need until you do overcome. Because God's goal is a long goal. It's a patient goal. It's a long game of transformation. And sometimes it's going to be three steps forward and two back before we make progress. And as God looks at you and I, he loves us as his children, but he also knows we are caught up in a very confusing world. And he wants to help us. And that's why we have the word of God, is to give us wisdom on how he can help us. And there's no better example than to just begin with the life of Jesus as he starts out, as one of us. He goes to the river, and his cousin says... Behold, um, you know, the, 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 well, first of all, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, behold is one whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. And as John the Baptist is telling his cousin Jesus, you don't need to be baptized. Jesus is saying, I need to be baptized because this is what needs to happen to fulfill God's right purposes. And so Jesus was baptized to show us how the process begins. Are you with me? And as God allowed the Holy Spirit, uh, as the Holy Spirit allowed Jesus to, to go into the wilderness, the Holy Spirit was with him the whole time. And when, after 40 days, the scripture tells us that, 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 that the devil approached him, we know that Jesus is equipped for the moment. He has spent some time in the Word. He's aware of what God's take is on situations. And he begins to apply the wisdom of the Word. So at ground level, Jesus is hungry after 40 days. And the devil says, Oh, you must be hungry. And Jesus is like, What do you want? And... The devil's thinking about the best way to sway Jesus' allegiance to his father towards himself. So he tells him, if you're the son of God, which you say you are, which the father said you were back at the river when you were baptized, if you're a son of God, then why don't you turn these stones to bread? You're hungry, right? And Jesus looked at him and said, I, I know he was thinking that could happen. 
But for the purposes at hand, that would go against what I need to do. What I need to do is I need to demonstrate to people that are going to be hearing about this story, both in terms of the apostles that I'm getting ready to call and the people sitting in the church at First Christian Church in Salem, Ohio, they need to know it as well. That man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Can you tell me? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is our source for life. It is the way that we get our bearings. It's the way that we understand what's happening in the world around us. Because it is a confusing world. And we'll walk out of here and, and, and many voices will tell us that up is down and down is up and left is right and right is left. And we don't know how to make sense of it. But the Bible is the way that we keep our bearings straight regardless of what we see or what we hear or what we do. One of the ways that we do that is just pretty simple. It's from Matthew 7 when Jesus talked about how you can know something is good or bad. Like is it a good tree or a bad tree? You know by its fruit. If somebody says something but the fruit of what they're saying does not line up then chances are they're not, a, they're not necessarily a good source. If somebody tells you something and yet you see everything behaviorally and in terms of the outcome of their lives going against it, then chances are they're trying to lead you astray. So I, I tell my kids, if you want to know what some, where someone's coming from or the value of something... You'll know it by its fruit. You'll know it by the good effect that that person or that thing will have on your life. Keep that clear in your head. And I, I, I tell my kids, you know, if you want to think critically, because I'm not so sure that as great as our, our public education is, it, the, the outcome isn't so much that you understand how to think, as much as it is what information you need to assimilate. And there's a little bit of a difference. Because Jesus says um, that we should be shrewd as serpents, yet innocent as doves. But what does he mean by that? He means that we need to be aware of what's going on around us. So that we don't fall into harm. But whatever our response is to what's going on around us. We need to be as gentle and humble and godly as we possibly can, no matter what. The Apostle Paul tells us that we should take every thought captive for the Lordship of Christ. Every thought. What does that mean? It means when I'm watching TV. It means when I'm listening to music. It means when I'm talking to other people. It means when I'm thinking about what I'm hearing. Am I taking these thoughts and filtering them through the mind of Jesus. And I can assure you that if you want to begin to live right with God, you start to do that. You start to live not on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so the devil looks at Jesus and says, all right, 
Let's try another one. And the devil is the one doing the initiating in this whole thing. Jesus isn't, isn't even going into this territory other than following um, with the devil's lead in here. And so the devil takes him um, up, up to um, the, one of the high points in the temple. And he says, you know what? If you are the son of God, you know Psalm 91. I know Psalm 91. It's a psalm of protection. You should just jump off this pinnacle and God will protect you. And Jesus is like, I don't know if I like your attitude. Because you are saying I should just cavalierly do dangerous things and trust God to provide for me. I'm not going to do that. Because that's not the purpose of being protected. The purpose of being protected is being protected from you. Because you're the one who keeps coming around and trying to undo all the good things that are happening. And I'm not going to fall for it. And I'm not going to follow your prompting. I don't know if Jesus said all that, but I am sure he thought it. And again, how did he overcome temptation? How do any of us overcome temptation? Well, first of all, we just name it. And we just say, that's not right. That's not going to work in my favor that's going to catch up with me. That's going to work against me. That's going to mean somewhere down the road, I'm going to be called out on it. And that's the hardest part about temptation because in the moment, it just seems so right. It seems like the perfect thing to do. But down the road, the luster of it just fades completely away and then all we're left with is broken character. Empty promises. The, the thrill or the gain or the accolades, they have no substance. So Jesus calls it out like it is. Now we have a word that you and I use in church. It's called sin. But how often do you hear the word sin out there? I mean, really? Honestly? But it's not really so much a, a religious pejorative term out there and a sacred term in here as much as it means that God has a right way of doing things. We have our own way of doing things. And when they converge, it means we're living right. When they, when they seem to land at different targets... It means, well, it means that we're missing the mark. It means that we are not being obedient. And you ever, you ever have to discipline your kids and you know the old, yeah, this hurts me worse than it hurts you? You remember those stories? Anybody remember pulling the car over to the side of the road and saying, you've done it now. And, you know, you swat them on the backside. I could probably go to jail for saying that now. But uh, you, because, you know, that's the world we live in. And all of a sudden, the humiliation of getting swat on the backside on the side of the road. Don't want to do that again. But it is painful. All the discipline that we go through is always painful. But you know what God says in the book of Hebrews? The painfulness of discipline actually leads to the, the fruitfulness of righteousness. God doesn't want to see us go through pain any more than we have to. But sometimes it is just necessary. 
Because we're a willful people. <laughs> I, I'm reminded of this every time I take my dog for a walk out in the woods. He's a, he's a little, he was supposed to be a, an eight-pound Yorkie, but we got him at Rogers, so you know, you, you get what you pay for. And uh, so he ended up being a 26-pound Schnorky. So he's got a little bit of English Yorkie and a little bit of German Schnauzer. And somewhere in the mix, he ended up getting a lot of stubbornness. Most of the time, he's pretty good. But when he locks into something, he just has tunnel vision. And he won't, you know, I'll be walking him in the woods, and then he'll, he'll get a scent about something, and then the, the, the tether just, just tightens up, and then he's on it. And then if I let him get close to whatever it is, usually it's something near a tree, he starts digging in the ground. And I'm like, oh, man, now we've got to give you a bath and all that afterwards. And I'll tell him, hey, Nigel, we've got to keep walking. And he doesn't even hear me. I'll pull on him. He doesn't even hear me. I'll get close to him. He'll actually growl at me. If I go to grab him, he'll try to bite me. Under any other circumstance, he never behaves that way. But he is so tempted by whatever it is in the ground that that's all he can see. He's really just got tunnel vision. And usually what I'll end up doing is I will either bribe him with a treat... Or I will just, I'll get him away from it enough that he kind of comes to his senses. And then you know what I have to do? I got to carry his 26-pound body back to the house. Because I said, I would tell him, Nigel, the walk is over. It could have been a lot longer. It could have been a lot more fun. But you had to ruin it. Now, I don't know if he understands all of that, but I do know this. When I'm carrying him, he's not too happy. He makes a lot of grunts, a lot of groans, and all that stuff. And then we'll turn him loose in the house, and obviously, that didn't end well. It didn't end well not because I didn't love him. It didn't end well because he didn't get whatever was underneath that tree in the ground that he couldn't reach. It didn't end well because, well, he didn't do what he was supposed to be doing. Now, I get his instincts tell him, I need to do this. And I try to honor that on, in, in different ways. But whenever it becomes so counterproductive to the purpose, I just, I, I got to redirect him. And God does that same thing for you and I. He has to redirect us sometimes. He has to say, you are so stuck and so locked into this that it's going to be a little painful so you can come to your senses. I don't believe that Every illness that we have is, is, um, is, is of our own doing. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes God, God allows things. And the end game is to work it together for good. And sometimes when I see people struggling with a health problem or something like that... <clears throat> I know that God is wanting to put that person into the best place possible. But I also know this, that possibly there's been something working in their lives that God's been trying to work with them with, that it is only through this that he's been able to get their attention. Now, as controversial as that sounds, the end game is for us to be totally and completely restored. If not in this life, the life to come. But along the way, like the Apostle Paul who had 
something that, well, it was called a thorn in the flesh. And of all the people who did not need a thorn in the flesh, the Apostle Paul, well, he had it. Yet Paul said, I prayed, it's here, it's humbled me, it's caused me to be more dependent upon God. God's grace is sufficient. Well, let's move over to the last temptation. It is the one that pulls all the stops. And Satan looks at the grand scheme of all of, all of the cities and all of the kingdoms. And somehow he's able to pull the veil back and show Jesus. And he said, Jesus, just look at that. There's nothing like it. And it's all mine. However, I give it all to you if you bow down and worship me. It's all yours. You don't have to go through this whole rigmarole of doing what you're set out to do. I'll just give you, I'll just give it to you. It's yours. And Jesus said something that we all need to hear. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's no other. Now I'm going to end this here because I've went too long already. But my biggest takeaway from what we've, what we've shared today is what happens afterwards. Because in Mark, in the next chapter, it says, um, I, saw, I saw Satan falling from the sky. In, in Matthew, later on, there's a controversy about, about, um, uh, about bind, binding the strong man. And then there's the, there's the discussion about Beelzebul and how Beelzebul can't be working against his own purposes. And I just want to mash all that together and say something happened where all that authority that Satan had prior to that temptation encounter diminished. And the strong man was bound. Beelzebub was, was put in his place. Satan fall, fell from the sky like lightning. And some commentators say the reason why he was disarmed, and it's just an opinion, but I, I, I would agree with it. The reason why the strong man was bound is because Jesus on all of those tests did the right thing. And the devil no longer had authority over him. And as a result... Unlike Adam and Eve and the garden, Jesus took the authority back by being obedient. And when you go through your tests and your temptations and you do the right thing, you're taking that authority back as well. You're taking your life back. And the good news is a bloodstained cross just continues to enable that. I have one more scripture I want to show. And it's the end of the book of Matthew. This is the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And Jesus came and said to them, guess what people? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to just bring this down to ground level.
Because I'm tested, I'm tempted like anybody else. We all have areas of vulnerability and weakness. But I do know this. No matter what my feelings tell me, no matter what my impulses tell me, no matter what my fears are telling me, no matter what my lusts are telling me, no matter what my anger is telling me, no matter what my jealousy is telling me, no matter what my gossiping tongue is telling me, in all of those cases, the Word of God says, this is what you need to do. And the Holy Spirit, who is right there with you, says, and I will help you do that. And God says, when you do that, you'll reclaim that authority that God has destined for you to have over your own life through Jesus. And the devil will no longer own you in that way. Now, that may take some time for you to put together what that means practically. But basically, Jesus said, there is a kingdom. And John preached repentance for that kingdom. And the devil said, I could have this kingdom, but I refuse it from him. And then in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said, I have come to preach good news of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is here and I'm bringing it. And I want all of you to be a part of it. And that's, that's each of us. And it's God's way of saying, I want to deliver you out of the confusing world that you're in. I want to deliver you out of the painful pressing in that you experience. I want to deliver you from your sins that create shame in your life. I want to deliver you from all the dark forces that are working against you. I want to deliver you so that I can bring you to a good place and make you whole. That's good news. And I wonder, I wonder, have you accepted his invitation to become a part of that good news? Have you had your own baptismal experience? And if you have, have you accepted the calling to be the face of that good news in your life? Because that's really what Jesus is calling us to do, is to get on board with the things that he's on board with. So I'll just end with that. And if God is prompting you in any way, please take advantage of this moment and allow him to work in your life.